gentlemen, on behalf of Jim Crockett Promotions, welcome to the premier wrestling event of 1986, Starcade 86, the night of the Skywalker. Hello again and welcome everybody to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, it's been too long, my friend. I know that I made the comment at the start of the year that if we did really good research and we checked all our notes and we we did thorough stuff, we'd get an episode out a month. And here we are doing about an episode a month. But uh, there's been a lot that has come up in the world and in my personal life. I swear I'm going to get back on track. We're going to get back on track eventually. The world is getting uh, a little bit better. We might even see each other again before the end of the year. And that, that will be... Uh, quite the accomplishment, my friend. That would be amazing, if so. <laughs> so, Patrick, how have you been these last few weeks that we haven't done a show? I was good. Um, I've been good. I've been doing my thing. I got some really sad news yesterday about New Jack. And uh, so that kind of bummed me out right before my show last night. But um, we're, we're going to keep that kind of... Uh, to that uh short simple because our next episode we want to pay tribute to new jack it will be a full-fledged just new jack show real name jerome young he uh passed away just the other day at 58 years old of a heart attack which uh if you had told me of the many ways that i thought that new jack would pass away heart attack would be towards the bottom of the list uh, but it is uh, very sad. Even still, he lived a lot longer than I probably would have expected just from his wrestling style, the, his lifestyle, his run-ins with the law. Uh, everything about uh, New Jack uh, was uh, he was an out-of-control character. He was I'm not going to say that he was an amazing five-star wrestler that could put on classic matches, but he was a character and you need characters in wrestling. And he certainly was a character well i'm sure you know our next show i'm definitely gonna have a lot to say he's just he's really a misunderstood guy yeah i might even do uh in between the next episode i might do a uh rwp extra on uh the dark side of the ring episode that he did last year which uh was actually i went into it with uh, not a lot of uh expectations but uh, really, what makes that episode for me is uh, Jim Cornette. He, uh, of course, Smoky Mountain was um, a big part of New Jack's career before he got on the the national stage with ECW. But it's really where he formed his character. I mean, if you could even say it was a character, I don't I don't know where Jerome Young ended and New Jack started. And that might even be a quote that Cornette gives in Dark Side of the Ring. But um, yeah, I might I might talk I might do an extra episode just about that. But I'll go ahead and tell us uh, where we're going for our next episode, and that will be we're going to November to remember 2000. An episode, uh, we've already covered his most infamous moment in ECW, which was Living Dangerously 2000, where he uh, dove, and uh, it wasn't, uh, Vic Grimes didn't exactly do a good job of um, protecting him, so to speak, and the man smashed into the concrete. So if you'd like to go back and relive that episode, that is in our archives. All you have to do is uh, scroll down in your podcast um, app or whatever you use or SoundCloud and you can check that out but we are going to do uh, November to remember 2000 where he fought Rhino 
who of course would become the final ECW champion, spoiler alert. But this was a title shot, a TV title shot for New Jack, who was typically not in the title scene outside of uh, with the gangsters and the tag belts. He was... He had a very specific role in ECW and was not often, you know, a title contender. But, you know, towards the end of ECW, you're running out of people. And uh, so we need someone for this TV title shot. Who have we got? New Jack. So there you go. That's what we'll do next week. So I'll go ahead and give that away at the start of this episode. Uh, so at the end of the episode, if you are confused as to... What, what's next that that is what's next you scroll so rewind to the, i don't know why i'm telling you this now but rewind to the front even though you've heard the front okay thank you that makes no sense but dark side of the ring speaking of that they are back for season three and uh they're they're up to episode three and patrick have you seen any of the dark side of the ring this season i watched the very first one with uh the first part of pillman's life uh, I haven't seen the second yet. It was really cool, man. It's uh, I haven't seen the second part yet, but I am looking forward to it. Um, Pillman Jr. is a good friend of mine, and uh, I think that he opened that door basically wide open and gave them the ability to do the full-fledged story, uh, which was really cool. Uh, a lot of stuff people didn't know. A lot of stuff I didn't know about his dad. And so, yeah, I think that, that was really, really badass. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the first episode of Pillman kind of covered uh, his uh, first wife's uh, suicide, which I hadn't ever really heard the story. It has all of Pillman's children in it. it even They even got Stone Cold Steve Austin to sit down for it. I appreciated the fact that they kind of skimmed over his football career because uh, the loose cannon WWE documentary that they put out many years ago spent a lot of time with uh, his time on the Bengals and his time, you know, that he was an overachiever. I mean, uh, we all we all knew that. So I'm glad that they kind of I like it when documentaries can look at other documentaries and say, okay, well, that's already kind of been covered because you don't want to redo the origin story again and again, you know, because it's 2021. And, you know, if you're watching dark side of the ring, you're a wrestling fan and you kind of know, uh, a bit of Brian's backstory. Uh, but some of the other stuff with his family, uh, his, uh, his, first wife suicide uh i i mean seeing melanie pillman uh she's looking rough these days uh was something um episode two dives into uh you know when he signed with the wwf his his hum humvee accident uh they talked about the uh, pillman's got a gun incident which was uh probably his most famous wwf moment uh the fact that he was pushing himself really hard uh, with a fused ankle uh, he probably shouldn't have been wrestling and uh, also features a lot of jim ross talking about how he would you know tell brian you know you can go far in this business and you can be a commentator and you know pillman just wasn't going to do that he wanted to be in the ring they would it was the natural competitor in him would not allow him to just sit on the sidelines even though he was very talented when he was on Shotgun Saturday Night. We've talked we talked about him like three or four episodes ago, about just how 
well-rounded he was that, you know, he didn't need to be in the ring. He could have done a million different things. He could have been a great agent, a great producer, a great writer. Uh, he had a really good mind for the business and saw where it was going. And it's a shame that he was so driven, but I mean, that's the natural athlete in him. It's all it, but it's also his fatal flaw and why he, even though, I mean, he, he had heart disease, but you can't, you can't sit there and tell me that his pain pills and steroids and everything else, you know, growth hormone or whatever he was into didn't contribute to, uh, his demise. So, uh, Spoiler alert for part two, but there you go. Uh, they also get into how slimy that interview with Melanie was on Raw, and um, one of the, one of the lowest points of Raw, I think, that I that I've ever seen. I mean, uh, the guy had died uh, a day be- a day before, and you're putting his widow on TV, for, you know, to pop a rating. It's v- very bad. But the WWF would. Uh, do stuff uh continue to do bad stuff to this day so it's um sadly not that surprising and then episode three covered nick gage who much like the new jack episode i wasn't really that interested in because hardcore wrestlers people i mean i'm not talking about like a mick foley who also does regular who could wrestle in a regular wrestling ring uh but nick gage and New Jack are two people that, you know, know probably three or four wrestling maneuvers. And then the rest of it is Plunder Brawl. And um, the Nick Gage one, uh, the Nick Gage one, I, I went into it with low expectations, but I I still watched it. It's kind of a weird uh, dynamic because it, it paints him, it kind of paints him as a sympathetic character. But then they go to Nick Gage for these interviews and cutaways and he basically tells you that he's not, you know, that he's a scumbag. I mean, he doesn't say that, but he says, you know, I'm not I'm not a good person. I don't expect to live long. I'm you know, he doesn't come out and say I'm a sleazeball. But I mean, it's basically what he, he just says, you know, I'm not long for this world. This is what I do. Murder, death, kill, uh, fuck the world, whatever. And so it's a really interesting episode and it's also one of the episodes that has the fewest amount of people talking like talking heads in it it's got john moxley it's got a guy from game changer wrestling who was uh, uh, this guy's only friend i mean his best friend in the world because nick gage robbed a bank patrick if you robbed a bank and came into my apartment and threw a bunch of money on my counter and i said where did that come from and you said i stole it from wherever i mean i think he lied to him and said he stole it from a drug dealer at first but i think that's the end of our relationship i you know i'm not going to uh continue but this guy from game changer wrestling i forgot his name he never gave up on nick gage and like you know waited for him to get out of jail after four years for robbing a bank and then of course gage fucks up gets arrested on drug charges goes back in jail for another couple of years and this guy's still waiting for him and still has work for him and gets him that david arquette match and basically puts this guy on the map people know who he is like he said he got a lot of letters in jail and stuff and those czw fans are really hardcore and i'm sure he did but he's a mainstream name because of that david arquette match and that was all set up by this gcw guy and so those are like and nick gage's girlfriend it's, it's one of the few dark side of the ring episodes i've seen where they just have like four people and that's it did they have david arquette oh they did they they also had david arquette for a minute but okay good 
good. And I, I watched the David Arquette documentary that he put out last year or the year before about his, you know, comeback in quotation marks and stuff. And some of the stuff he was saying about that match, I'm still I, I think he I think it was a work. I, I mean, I think he's still working, you know, that like he was really upset with Nick Gage for like taking liberties with him or whatever. And but to me, like anybody that like. David Arquette surely did some research. Someone said, you're going to wrestle this guy. And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll wrestle this guy. They're like, no, no, no. Somebody pulled him aside and said, no, 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 watch Tournament of Death, whatever. You know, like, so I don't buy, like, David Arquette has this angle in, in the in the dark side of the ring where he's like, yeah, you know, he, he cut me and I just didn't want him to cut me and he used the pizza cutter and all this stuff and he cut my neck. I told him not to cut my neck. Like, no, I, I don't buy that for a second, my friend. I'm sorry. Like, if if you sign up to wrestle a New Jack or a Nick Gage or, you know, any other insert hardcore icon here, you know what you're getting into. So his his clips, I felt, were a bit inauthentic. But, you know, he, he's a worker. He's still working us. So he's he loves wrestling. So he wants to continue to uh, to work that he's. uh you know, still upset about that, but he knew what he was getting into. So, yeah, so WWE's partnered with A&E for biographies, and they have uh, done a few so far. I think the last one was Booker T. I didn't watch that one. I, I don't really care about that story. I, I hate to say, I'm sorry, Booker T. I just, I know he had a rough childhood. I know he had a falling out with Stevie Ray, but the rest of it, not that interested in. Uh, the first episode was Stone Cold. I mean, they have put out two documentaries on Stone Cold. I feel like anything that Austin uh, is going to talk about, he has talked about. You know, they didn't cover the stuff with Deborah. They didn't cover the stuff with his first wife and uh, being trained by uh, gentleman Chris Adams and his thoughts on him. So they kind of, you know, so... I, those are just kind of and when they do like the rock coming up in a few weeks or whatever, it's like we pretty much get those guys. Now, there were two episodes, though, that I did watch uh, in total and I watched I watched the Piper one. I thought it was very good. I thought that Vince came across like a total asshole, um, not only for his joke at the start where he fakes a phone call from Roddy Piper from hell, uh, which was. I mean, maybe they just shared a dark sense of humor or something, but uh, there's that part where Roddy did the HBO special in 2003 and Vince fired him for it uh, and didn't dispute any of the things that he was saying in that. And that's the one where Piper says, I'm not going to live to 65 and all this stuff and talks about the business. And outside of that, I thought it was a really good look at his life. It wasn't full of bullshit because his family and his last... Uh, book that was halfway written by him and then finished by his family uh, d gave you a real look at his life and not just the fantasy that, you know, he created throughout his life about living in Scotland and all this other stuff. And it was it was more real that he was uh, down and he was broke. He was living on the street and yeah, uh, uh, came into this. They had a lot of good clips from him. So that helps. Um so I really enjoyed that one. And then the Macho Man one, to me, I just think we're never going to get the definitive 
macho man documentary or biography. And this one was better than uh, the one that the WWE put out a few years ago, though they did use a couple of clips like from his mom who's since passed away. Uh, I mean, they still use Lanny in it, but they use Hogan in it and um, they skim over some of the craziness in his later years where he was just very paranoid, almost paranoid schizophrenic. You know, I'm not going to diagnose him with that, but he was he was doing some strange stuff. There's a great article about it. I wish I could remember where I read it, but where he, you know, lived behind these huge gates and he he sometimes wouldn't even let his own brother in because he just didn't know he didn't trust him. I mean, it sounded like he was suffering from CTE and had some real issues and he had real issues dealing with fame and and being the macho man and being recognized and none of that was covered and um also the allegations from uh the the new stuff in it though i mean uh gorgeous george his his girlfriend from wcw um the allegations that uh that macho's dad was giving him you know growth hormone or or steroids or something that's that's something I, i don't think i've ever heard before that's kind of shocking that uh angelo was i mean i mean when he 1999 when macho man hit 40 i mean he definitely got a little inflated i mean that's when he started dying the beard that's i mean i mean that's when he started not looking like the macho man of of old and he started transforming and also talking about gorgeous george talked about them being on like ecstasy or something when they went out and did promos and that's all new to me um, but also some of this is like, is the WWE doing this because like Vince is still bitter about how he left the company or something? Because I feel like other wrestlers that had this kind of stuff, just like Austin with the domestic violence stuff or, uh, you know, any other wrestler that's got a little bit of dirt on them, you know, I think Vince would tidy it up a little bit more. And so with macho man, he doesn't feel like he has to do, to do that. he, He'll just put it out there. And, you know, they recovered uh, the Liz stuff, which um, was and they brought Luger in for that part. And he didn't say anything new. And I don't think there was anything new there, really. But it was interesting. Um, It's still and she has every right to never speak to the media ever. But I would be interested to hear from Macho Man's widow about his final years, because to this day, there's she hasn't said anything. And so we only get Lanny's version and uh, we and that's about it. And he did. He didn't do very many interviews um, out of character. He didn't do very many interviews, even in character as Macho Man, just hanging out to do some B-roll or whatever. So that one interview that's so famous that's on YouTube about him talking about his rap CD coming out and all this. That's it's so famous because that was a one off interview that's in the middle of three years after he was out of wrestling and not really seen again until he did that quick little promo. Yeah, for the video game. Yeah, that was like all stars. Yeah, that yeah, that that is the only thing that's out there. And that's just to like promote his his rap CD. And so that made a big, you know, that's, 
if you it's hard to find the full thing if we can find it i'll i would love to put it up on our page and yeah um, and it's also like he, he never wrote like a book or anything so it's it's really hard to ever get we're never going to get the full picture and right. maybe it's it's better maybe it's better that we don't but he's somebody that he's such an interesting character that i kind of it's the one i want it's like you know it's it's the golden goose, I guess, if of like stories of like his life that just we'll never know. And it's unfortunate because like he's he's just such a larger than life character. And yet we know so very little really about him. You know, we know that we know that he played baseball. His dad was uh, a wrestler, started the promotion, uh, got him into Memphis. And then that's, you know, we know his wrestling career but we don't know anything about Randy Poffo. You know, we don't, we don't know anything about him outside of bits and pieces. And we have to just make our own, make our own conclusions. So, um, and unfortunately, you know, there's going to, there's other wrestlers like that. You know, I I don't want to discount any other wrestlers, but I, I'm a, I'm a huge macho man fan. So I guess that's why it just disappoints me. All right. Well, we'll get into, our pick this week, which was your pick, which was uh, in honor of the late uh, Jim Crockett Jr., who passed away a couple months ago. You picked Starcade 86, the night of the Skywalkers, because everything had to be Star Wars related in wrestling. Uh, they just wanted to mooch off the name um, because uh, WCCW did uh, star- the Star Wars of wrestling. And so I guess Jim Crockett said, hey, that's a pretty good idea. Let's call this the Skywalkers. Oh, well, how do you justify that? Uh, have people walking on a scaffold. That's sort of the sky. So uh, very clever use of, uh, you know, branding there. And this was from November 27th, 1986. So this would have been the same year as WrestleMania 2, which famously took place from three locations. So... You know, Jim Crockett can't can't quite do three locations, so we can do two. Also, they saw what a clusterfuck WrestleMania 2 was from three locations and probably said, well, let's just do two. Yeah, this uh, this card was uh, unfortunately kind of sabotaged at the last minute by no fault of their own, because in October, uh, Magnum T.A., who was uh, poised to be in this title match, uh, the main event, even though. Uh, they went with the Skywalker branding for another match, but the main event, the title match, was going to be Flair and Magnum TA, and uh, he got into his Porsche accident in October, and this was back in the day when TV was taped in advance, and they had to suddenly scramble to replace their top babyface, and their choices were very, very uh, thin as far as who to choose to face flair because you couldn't just go back to dusty and he also he had something going on with another horseman on this show and there really wasn't anybody to elevate to that position so dusty made the call to take the person feuding with magnum ta nikita koloff a um soviet union sympathizer (laughs) who um was a you know very much a heel uh and said you know what we're going to go with you, buddy. We're going to turn your face, and uh, in about a month, you're going to be the number one contender for the title. 
We're going to give you the U.S. belt, which uh, you were feuding with Magnum T.A. over, and you're going to go against Flair, and we'll we'll just see how it goes. So, um, unfortunate for Terry Allen, Magnum T.A., um, but it also shows that the NWA, they had a lot of great talent. Um, this card has a lot of great talent, but as far as top-tier talent, they really it was really thin at the top. And, yeah. And uh, that's... I mean, they were putting a lot of uh, chips in the basket for uh, Magnum TA, um, but they had also been the victim of uh, Vince stealing, uh, like Rick, Ricky Steamboat and, and Piper, just to name a few, and would continue to steal talent from them, like uh, on this card, Big Bubba Rogers, who would become the big boss man and stuff like that. So uh, they, unlike in WCW in the late 90s, where they had too much top talent, uh, well, they had wait. They had a lot of great talent in the mid card too, but they had a lot of Hall of Famers at the top. Here you have Dusty and Flair, and then it's like a huge step down to your mid card because unless you want to break up the Four Horsemen, uh, you know your biggest draw. You know, there's just there's not a lot of good options here, and um, we would see like going into Great American Bash '87. Flair would end up wrestling Hawk of the Road Warriors. So they they just did not have a plan as far as and and they didn't have a lot of time. And uh they saw that the WWF was picking up a lot of steam and also taking a lot of their guys, so it was just it was a tough time at the top of the card, you know. Uh, it was still a healthy promotion and they still had good matches and stuff. And I thought this Starcade was actually better than the Starcade. Uh, what was it? 83 that we watched. I think this is a better Starcade from top to I bottom. Think, I think this is one of the better, one of the best Starcades of all time. Yeah. Um, so they had plenty of talent. It was just people. They've made stars. They didn't have stars. Um, so this took place from two locations, Greensboro, of course, uh, ground zero for JCP and Atlanta, Georgia at the Omni uh, and the Greensboro Coliseum in, in North Carolina. Uh, this is November 27th, 1986. Uh, combined attendance of 30,000 people, not bad for two venues who had to spend half of the time watching on closed circuit to see what's happening at the other venue. And as far as where each match was located, well... I feel like Atlanta got a little bit luckier because they had the the gimmick match and they had the title match. But the reason they had the title match is obviously because they had just turned Nikita into a face and they didn't want to put Flair out in North Carolina because he probably would have gotten cheered over Nikita. And you can't have that, um, you know, first out first time out of the gate, you know, first title shot for this guy that you think might be your next big baby face. So you definitely don't want him getting booed out of the building. Uh, so you had to put the title match in Atlanta. So um, this pay-per-view largely, largely not cut up a lot on the network, really not a lot of cuts. They dubbed in some music here and there, um, but it's pretty much it. It's runtime is almost five hours on, on uh, Peacock or the network or whatever, whatever you're watching on. Um, so this was a challenge, uh, when I saw it, but I, some of it was promoting, uh, GAB, the bunkhouse stampede. They did a lot of promotion, uh, within the, uh, the show that took up a lot of time. They also had intermissions, which 
luckily on Peacock and the network, they didn't make us sit through the entire intermission, but um, they did have those as well. So, um, you know, for for a live spectator, this was probably like an eight hour show. This was probably a pretty long day at the venue. Yeah, so we start out with some generic rock music that welcomes us into Starcade 86 with laser lights, because that used to be a thing that people did. Laser lights. Um, we start out in the Omni, and then we see the giant scaffold over the ring for the big event, the uh, scaffold match, where the Skywalkers will walk. An instrumental version of the national anthem plays over the speakers, and Tony Schiavone and Rick Stewart are at the Omni, but they send it to Greensboro with Bob Cottle and Johnny Weaver for the first match. This is Tim Horner and Nelson Royal taking on Don and Rocky Kernodal. Good quick exchanges from Rocky and Tim Horner. Don tags in, power slams Horner for two. Royal tags in to take on Don. Abdominal stretch to Don, who tosses Royal out of the ring. Rocky hits a sunset flip cover to Royal for two. Horner comes back in against Rocky. Horner and Rocky go for running headbutts, but collide in the middle of the ring. Don tags in and hits a beautiful delayed vertical suplex and a backdrop to Tim Horner. He misses a diving headbutt, and Horner capitalizes with a drop kick. Rocky then goes for an O'Connor roll, but Horner reverses it and gets a quick pin in a very fast-paced opening tag match. I thought this was a great kickoff to the show. All these guys. This was... The 1986 equivalent of a cruiserweight tag team match, I think, uh, in my opinion. Uh, what, what did you think of this opening tag match? Oh, a very good uh, first match to kick off the show. Got people excited, got them hyped, and uh, definitely forced everyone else to kind of pick up the pace and deliver, uh, which is what you want. You want a good, solid first match to be able to carry through the uh, the momentum for the rest of the show. So I think these guys delivered very well. Yeah, Tim Horner would be uh, most known for being half of the Lightning Express with Brad Armstrong, Nelson Royal. He held the NWA Junior Heavyweight Championship on six occasions. In fact, I mean, Nelson Royal was in Mid-Atlantic from 65 to 83. So, And then, I mean, here we are in 86, so he's still there. So that is a uh, long run from... He started in 55 and ran until 89. He passed away in 2002. This was a very, very good tag match. I was very surprised because when these guys came out, I didn't have many hopes for them, but they delivered and, uh, yeah, got got the night off to a, a fast-paced start. Um, Tim Horner's future tag team partner, Brad Armstrong, is out next to take on Jimmy Garvin. Gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. This is from the Omni, so we're going back and forth here. And uh, since this is from the Omni and Brad Armstrong is Mr. Georgia, he gets a huge re- reception here. Um, we get some mat exchanges from Garvin and Armstrong, and they end up in the ropes. They go back to the mat, exchange various stretches before Precious, of course, who came out with Jimmy Garvin, distracts the ref, allows Garvin to pull Armstrong's hair and gets him trapped in a head scissors. Armstrong escapes but gets caught once again in another head scissors. Precious distracts the ref, so Garvin rakes Armstrong's eyes. Garvin flexes, which is funny because he's not really jacked. He's got Armstrong in the hold with the head scissors, and he's trying to flex. And then he jaws with the crowd. Armstrong works it into a side headlock, and these guys spend a lot of time on the mats. 
Armstrong gets thrown out of the ring while, while Garvin gets showered with booze. Garvin and Armstrong crack heads off the ropes. Both men are down. Only two minutes to go in this time limit match. What will happen? Well, this is the NWA, folks. Garvin goes for a press slam, but Armstrong falls on top for a near fall. Garvin gets a knee up as Armstrong charges at him in the corner. This gets him a near fall. An inside cradle is countered by Armstrong for another near fall. Then Jimmy goes upstairs for a flying headbutt, but misses. And ding, 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 the time is up. A very disappointing match after a very good opener, just because it didn't have a conclusion. And Brad Armstrong was... I hate I hate to put this on Jimmy Garvin, but Jimmy Garvin was really slowing down Brad Armstrong. I mean, that's part of the psychology of the match, obviously, is that Jimmy Garvin has to slow down the fast-paced high flyer in 1986 of, of Brad Armstrong. But at the same time, it, it was pretty fucking boring. I, I hate to say it. Uh, uh, I thought Brad's part was, was good, but uh, Jimmy Garvin, um, he's an entertainer. But he's not a really great wrestler. Um, what did you think of this match? I actually liked this match. I think it was with what you said is our differences on the way we view wrestling. I enjoyed the fact of the two different styles. You have a you know a slow powerhouse versus a you know thin speed worker, and I, I feel like I feel like it was a good solid you know, match in regards to can Jimmy slow him down? Can Brad keep up the pace and whose game plan is going to come out victorious? I think it actually uh, was pretty entertaining because of that fact. Yeah. I think it would have been acceptable for like a TV main event, but since this is Starcade and it's supposed to be the, their version of, well, I mean, I, I say their version of WrestleMania. Starcade was before WrestleMania, so it's their Starcade, but it's their big show. And I don't think that you should do time limit draws in the undercard with nothing on the line. With no, you know, there's this feud could continue on house shows. Sure, you know, I mean, I see a reason to do it, but second match out of the gate, you're already doing a time limit draw. I just, I would have preferred a definitive win or even a cheap win even if garvin had gotten precious to help him win something to continue the feud other than just ah they ran out of time so uh that's that's my real uh nitpick i'm not saying this match stunk i just jimmy garvin's really not my my flavor uh of the two garvins featured uh not related on this show he was uh the lesser of the two um and definitely brought down the Freebirds <laughs> later on in the 90s. Precious gets up in Armstrong's face, but Armstrong decks Garvin instead. He won't hit a lady, so Armstrong stays face, and that's a wrap. That is it. Garvin then tells Precious, I can beat him up. I can, really. But then she's like, just leave. And uh, Garvin leaves and gets some big heel heat from the crowd in Atlanta who wanted to see the bad guy get his just due. And I was right there with him because... Uh, I wanted that, too. Uh, we have the Barbarian and Shaska Watley, who I will just call Pez Watley because I can't say his name uh, very well. It always trips me up. So I'm just just going to call him Pistol Pez Watley, OK? Uh, Chattanooga's own Pistol Pez Watley is teaming up with the Barbarian, an- another talent that Vince would snatch away. Not Pez, but uh, the Barbarian here. Uh, they're going to take on 
Baron Von Rasky, who I have to say uh, has one of the greatest looks ever in professional wrestling. I think like Andre the Giant is, I think, number one as far as the most iconic looking pro wrestler of all time. But Baron, Baron Von Rasky might be like number two or three. He is no one looks like this man. Like he just he is just built for this. Like he doesn't need muscles or anything. He is just an odd looking. He looks like he just crawled out of the circus tent. And to this day, like it's just anytime I I'm just captivated by his look. Like I and this crowd was too. They went wild for him. And he doesn't have to do much because of just his look. He is I can't really even describe what makes him. It's like you are in luck, sir, because there is a Baron Von Raschke documentary that will be coming out here this summer. So there you go. Yeah. And I mean, he's still alive and kicking. I mean, he's he's still around and he's just a very uh, every time I'm fascinated by looking at this man every time. I mean, he is. Prior to when Vince made pro wrestlers, you know, all look like action figures or cartoon characters, he's basically like if you would like ask me in like 1986 what I thought a pro wrestler would look like and I had never seen Hulk Hogan or whatever, I probably would have said this guy because, you know, some some uh, freak show looking guy. Uh, but, he, he, you know, he's he's a nice man and stuff. He can't help the way he looks, but. He's made he's made an he made an entire career out of it, and he's teaming up with Hector Guerrero here, and uh, so Pez and Barbarian get some good heel heat on, on their introduction. Rasky and Hector Guerrero get a good pop. They brawl to begin the match. Rasky takes Barbarian out of the ring, so we settle into Hector versus Watley. Hector levels Watley with some drop kicks before he tags out. Barbarian charges Guerrero. He ends up flying out of the ring. Hector hits a pescado to Barbarian before Barbarian just drops him on the guardrail. Barbarian leg drops Hector, and then he hits a backbreaker to him. The heels keep Hector in their corner. They hit a double backdrop to Hector and keep him from getting the hot tag to Baron. The heels just keep the heat on Hector for ages before he finally leaps, and Baron Von Rasky gets the hot tag. Rasky runs wild. He gets a massive reaction when he comes in. The claw, the vicious claw to Pez Watley, but Barbarian stops it. One, two, three, big elbow drop to Watley, and Rasky does it. The faces win, but the heels get all their heat back by attacking Baron Von Rasky after the bell. Uh, Barbarian hits a flying headbutt before Hector runs them off, and there you have it. What did you think of this match, my friend? Pretty good. Paul Jones, they're trying to keep him uh, keep him running with a solid stable of guys, and while his guys were unfortunately the guys that were slowly getting picked off uh, by Vince, he was no longer going to be able to carry the big role that he had been in the past because of the likes of Barbarian and the others being picked off to go up and work for Vince. Uh, He just, he couldn't keep up with new talent joining his group with the old talent leaving so quickly, I guess is the best way I'm trying to put it. Yeah. So his group uh, fell apart. I feel kind of bad for the guy and he didn't get to, you know, he didn't get to call to New York uh, with the rest of the guys. So, Um, and he would suffer an unfortunate haircut later on tonight. Uh, Spoiler. Um, 
But uh, I like this match just because Baron Von Rasky was in it, and uh, I pretty much like anything he does. I don't really care. Um, I don't. I'm not gonna sit here and like, you know, I love Pez Watley too, but you know, these guys aren't known for like, you know, five star match quality. If this had been like Hector versus Barbarian, maybe I would judge it a little bit more about um, how they wrestled. But this was. This was just to get Baron Von Rasky out there and get a big pop from the crowd because he's just over. He's just super over. And, um, yeah, it did its job. So um, thumbs up from me. We go backstage to speak to Dusty, who's a TV champ, almost hinting at a heel turn here. He, he just says, leave me alone so we don't get an interview with Dusty. Uh, the man at Starcade uh, 83, it was, I believe, uh, we had to go to him like uh, 17 times for an interview. Uh, tonight, he didn't want to talk to us at all. Uh, so I felt kind of uh, kind of cheated here a little bit. Not a lot of promos and stuff on this show, which is a bummer because you had Dusty and you had Flair. Uh, you had people that could cut good promos and they didn't get to speak. Um, but, I mean, they only had eight hours of a show. So, I mean, there's no time for any of that. Um <laughs> Back to Atlanta for the Russians, Ivan Koloff and the Crusher uh, taking on the Kansas Jayhawks for the U.S. tag belts. This is a no-DQ match. Uh, if you're wondering uh, if you need a refresher on who the Kansas Jayhawks are, this is Dutch Mantel, the hairiest man on earth. And uh, Bobby Jaggers are the Kansas Jayhawks. Uh, the Jayhawks rock the Crusher to start the match. He's got nothing for him. He finally gets a hot tag to Ivan Koloff. Ivan slows the Jayhawks down for a moment, but ends up right back in their corner. This is just a beating as the Jayhawks just beat them down, beat the uh, Soviet sympathizers down. Finally, Crusher drops Mantel's knee on the guardrail, and the Russians have an opening. Koloff decks uh, Jaggers with the chain, his infamous big Russian chain, and Crusher pins him to retain the U.S. tag team belts in 736 to a chorus of boos. The crowd... Hated this fucking match. Um, what did you think about this tag team match? I liked it. I uh, I put it up there with the kind of the last tag team match. Um, it was entertaining. Nothing really. Oh, specific. it's it's nowhere near the Minnesota Wrecking Crew and the Rock and Roll Express. Um, but it, it was okay. It was fine. It. Yeah. I didn't really expect much from it, honestly, uh, because. I think what hurt this. I mean, I think what hurt it is, is, is that it was Ivan in, in, as the tag partner and not Nikita and um, Crusher, another guy that was about to get scooped up by the WWF. Like the match later on between the Rock and Roll Express and the Minnesota Wrecking Crew was just leaps and bounds. I would even put the uh, the opening match with Tim Tim Horner above this one because I I think if you're just gonna deck a guy with a chain, just go ahead do it as quickly as possible. You know, let's just get to it. Let's just you know, let's just skip the bullshit. You know, why go out there and try to fight if you're going to, you know, work smart, not hard. There's a reason that Ric Flair leaves the ring so much and takes so many shortcuts because he works smart. And uh, if you're just going to deck a guy with a chain to win the match, then just get it over with and do it, you know, as quickly as possible. Um, and unfortunately, the uh, Soviets here got their asses kicked for the majority of this match before they finally... Uh, got uh chained in the in the face um uh we move on to rick rude versus wahoo mcdaniel <laughs> uh more people that got scooped up by the wwf in an indian strap match with an awesome dubbed 
or this might have been his real theme actually uh rick rude's theme song here in uh, jcp oh ricky you're so ravishing where did you come from this was just an awesome theme song like i used to think that the uh the old wwf porn music was uh was really good but this might be better um so so i'm glad that i i checked this out i hope this was his real theme and not a dub uh i'll have to double check on that but uh Unfortunately, he doesn't have his awesome promo down yet, though. If he had that and this theme, he would have been just a mega, been, mega star. Been. Yeah, I mean, well, the problem is he's a heel, like, and they're just light on faces. But, like, yeah, he, I mean, I can see why WWF wanted this guy immediately. Uh, this is a strap match where you hit the buckles in order. So I would call this a WWF style strap match, not like a uh, cowbell match or whatever we watched at Starcade 83. This is, you can't win by pinfall or submission. This is, uh, you got to touch the buckles. Um, Wahoo gets a big pop. Wahoo chokes out Rude with the strap for a moment. Rude returns a favor, lays in a few right hands. And his manager, as you mentioned, the man of the night, Paul Jones, cheers on. Uh, Rude ties up Wahoo's hands and goes for the buckles, gets two before Wahoo kicks him to stop it. Wahoo ties up Rude, goes for the buckles, touches him with his back, which I don't think should count. Uh, but he gets three before Rude kicks him out uh, and away from the buckle. Uh, he drops in a forearm from the top turnbuckle and attempts to tie Wahoo up, hog tie Wahoo McDaniel. Uh, but Wahoo stops him. He tries it again, but Wahoo yanks him down. Wahoo goes for the buckles again and gets three while, Ru- while Rude attempts to wake up. Rude then muscles Wahoo from getting the fourth. Rude clocks him in the back of the head, knocks him into the fourth buckle, and apparently this counts. Rude cost himself the match by decking Wahoo McDaniel and sending him into the fourth buckle. So referee Patrick Young, what is your ruling on this? I would, it, I, it counts. I oh, it, it counts. Wow, that is generous. Now I, I understand counting it if some if you hit your back on by your own free will, but if someone knocks you into it, I don't think that should count. You always I, I, you always claim to be such a hard ass. You're very generous. No, I'm I am a hard ass. I'm a hard ass. I just uh, I think that this one it counts. I think it should count. I think that uh, he won it fair and square. Yeah, so uh, Rude not happy with this decision, obviously, and uh, beats Wahoo down in the corner. Then uh, Hector and Rasky have to run back out and make the save and stop Rude from uh, getting all his heat back. Um, this match, if it wasn't that damn touch-the-corner stuff, this might have been okay. Um, obviously, Wahoo, a much older guy than Rick Rude um, in 1986, it would have been awesome to see like Rick Rude taking on like a Brad Armstrong or somebody like, I'm just trying to think of people on the card, like that are young and quicker. And, um, but you also, I guess you don't want, I mean, Rude lost this match. So I, I, I don't know. I just, this, I don't think this was the right pairing for Wahoo. I think that you probably should have thrown him in just like at the end when they brought Rasky out, like you should, the older guys should kind of be paired up together and kind of let the younger guys work with each other unless you're unless you're going for a title unless there's some kind of you know passing of the torch going on um that's what i would have preferred here um what are your thoughts on rude versus wahoo 
like I said, I like the match. I think it's uh, it's very well done. Um, I love, unlike you, the the corner touching. I think that that's a brilliant uh, part of a match to have a different style of winning other than just pin or submission. That's just like a cage match, climbing over the top or escape. That's you know that's a very special part of having you know that that style of a match um being an indian death match being an indian strap match and the fact that you think of the undertaker and the buried alive match or the coffin match or whatever you know believe it or not that was wahoo's match i mean he's to my knowledge the first one to have done it in JCP, and so he can't lose this match against Rude. However, uh, I think Rude carried quite a bit. So, yeah, I give kudos to Rude because Rude did a lot in this match. Uh, Not taking anything away from Wahoo, but Rude did a lot in this match. Yeah, so uh, after this, we get one of the few interviews of the the night where the Russians, uh, Ivan and the Crusher, have an interview. Ivan calls the uh, Jayhawks the Jayhawkers, and then Ivan promotes the Bunkhouse Stampede, where you can win a million dollars, Patrick, but definitely not really. Oh, no, that's the Crockett Cup. Sorry, you don't win a million dollars. You just get to survive uh, the Bunkhouse Stampede, as we'll learn later in a very funny promo to me. uh, promo package where a man sits by a fire and tells us how the bunkhouse stampede came to be. You see out west, you uh, you just you know sometimes you just need to beat the shit out of your friends and family, and you go out to the bunkhouse and you uh, just beat everyone down and throw them over the top rope of whatever that's rope you've got. So uh, that's how you do it, man. Ivan cuts an odd promo where he bashes Nikita Koloff for being a good guy. But then he still says he hopes he beats Flair for the belt because Crusher wants the first shot at it. So kind of a, a kind of a yeah. I still want my uh, kayfabe relative to win, but I don't like that he's nice and we're gonna beat him for the belt as soon as we can. Um, so uh, tough spot to be in in that promo. But it's like the one promo of the night. So uh, really weird. Yes, as you can see, we are still United States. Uh- Heavyweight tag team champions, not only outsmarting, but outbeating these Jayhawkers. Now, now we're looking forward to thousands of American dollars in these bunkhouse stampede match. Thousands of American dollars. And we're looking forward especially to getting this Dusty Rhodes inside the stampede match and beating some heads in. Now, Dusty Rhodes will never forget what you have done to Nikita, poisoning his mind, making an American out of him. For this, we will destroy you. And Nikita, later tonight, you are meeting world champion Ric Flair, and you are capable of defeating him. I have trained you very well. You are a stubborn, determined man, and I hope you do defeat him, because there would no be any greater punishment for Crusher or myself to take world title away from him. Crusher. Right. And Nikita, I've known you for a long, long time. And you're a very greedy man. Usually what you want, you get. Well, tonight, if you should take this world title from Ric Flair, I demand you give me a title shot first. Because if you don't, all you are is a traitor 
and a coward, and I will beat you, and I'll beat you bad. And that goes for you, Dusty Rose, too. I'll slap you down like a dog. Isn't that right, Ivan? This is right. You know, we're looking forward to the Bunkhouse Stampede matches because they are our type of match. We can bring Chain into the ring. We can beat anybody. We can hang them with it. We can run them into post. We're going to have a great time inside the Stampede match. Most dangerous type matches that there ever is. Ever in professional wrestling. Because 20, 25 men in there, we are looking forward to capturing thousands of American dollars. But especially getting Nikita and this Dusty Rhodes for what they have. U.S. Tag Team Champions Koloff and Khrushchev. Let's go to Tony Giovanni in the ring. Um... Bill Dundee will take on Sam Houston for the Central States belt. Uh, Houston starts out quickly against Dundee, but Dundee grounds him. Houston tries a bulldog, but Dundee dodges it. Dundee flings Houston out of the ring, and he clips the announcer's table. Dundee takes an atomic drop, flops over the guardrail. Dundee boots him once they get back in the ring. Bombs away, but Houston kicks out at two. Dundee fish hooks Sam Houston, goes for some rest holds. Dundee looks for a Boston Crab and gets it. Houston reverses it, but they end up in the ropes. Sam Houston gets flung outside again. Dundee hits a beautiful walk-the-rope axe handle to Sam Houston before going back to the mat for another rest hold. Houston then injures his knee. Dundee attacks it over and over again, gives him a target. Then the ref just calls it off after Dundee attacks Houston with Houston's boot, and Houston retains due to DQ and 10-24. Um, uh, Sam Houston, uh, not very, uh, good. Jake, the snake's, uh, brother here. Um, just, uh, not really feeling Sam Houston. I thought that Bill Dundee, uh, wrestled pretty well for an older guy. And, uh, it, it was, it was entertaining. The crowd was into it. Like, I, that's the one thing I can say, even matches that I'm not, I'm going to sit here and say that, you know, I'm going to give thumbs in the middle or thumbs down to the crowd was into pretty much everything tonight. So, uh, the crowd was, was entertained. So what can I say? Uh, what do you have to say about, uh, Bill Dundee and, uh, Sam Houston? It was what it was. Uh, I like superstar Bill Dundee. I like Sam Houston. And they both uh, went out there and gave it their all. And yeah, it was it was a solid middle card match. That that's the best way I can put it. Probably one of the slower points of the night. Um. So yeah, I think it was you know it was decent. It was what it needed to be. Yeah, so uh, we get our first big match of the night. You know why? Because hair is on the line, Patrick. And everyone knows that next to a world title belt, hair is the second most prestigious honor you can get in pro wrestling. It's a hair versus hair match where Paul Paul Jones is taking on the boogie woogie man, Jimmy Valiant. But see, it's not Jimmy Valiant's hair on the line. He's already had his hair cut. Uh, it's Big Mama. His uh, valet's hair is on the line versus Paul Jones's hair. So, and the Raging Bull, uh, who is uh, accompanying Paul Jones, he's going to be suspended in a cage over the ring um, because I believe he was the one that cut Jimmy Valiant's hair. So he has to be suspended over the ring in a cage. <laughs> one of the oldest um, wrestling things ever. I mean, we're still doing this shit in 2021, basically. Um, yes. The suspending the guy in the cage over the ring. Uh, but they did... They did avoid the trope now of where, you know, he drops a weapon down from the cage or, you know, breaks out of the cage. He he was up there. He was just screwed. He just that was it. Like 
There was no interference. Like this was this was one of the rare times when like a cage or something was used exactly what it, it was in, it, in, intended for. So he was fucked. He just got to stand up there and watch. He he got a cool view of the match. Um, the Boogie Woogie Man and Big Mama get a huge pop. I mean, this is probably one of the loudest pops of the night. And uh, then Wahoo and uh, Baron Von Rasky come out and brawl with Raging Bull and stuff him in the cage. And uh, he gets raised up. The bell rings. Valiant immediately decks Paul Jones a few times, slings him across the ring. Back rake, front rake. Uh, Jones slips something out of his tights. I don't know if it was supposed to be Nux or, or, or what, but he decks the Boogie Woogie Man to slow him down. Valiant is busted open from the Nux or the foreign object. Um, this is the uh, the first of many blade jobs tonight, as uh, JCP loved to bleed. Um, and I think every match from here on out would have someone bleeding. Uh, Jones nearly wins the match, but Valiant gets a foot on the ropes, even with the with the knucks. Um, Jones and Valiant exchange blows again, and Jones gets caught in a sleeper. Jones tries to use the foreign object again, but he, oh, he drops it, and Jimmy Valiant picks it up. And then he decks Jones, and the place erupts. You would have thought this was a fucking five-star classic, the way the crowd reacted at the pen. The crowd reacted so loudly that, like, Bob Cottle's mic picked it up, like, and, like, started fuzzing out. Because they just, they wanted to see this man get his head shaved. Um, this was by far this crowd's favorite match of the night. This was uh, Greensboro. So, uh, this, I, they love this. This was their favorite match of the night by far. Um... So thumbs up for me, and uh, it they didn't need to do a lot of wrestling. They didn't need to do uh, you know a five star frog splash. They didn't need to put people through tables. It was a simple concept. Uh, it's pro wrestling as it's as elementary as it gets as far as just entertainment value. That's really what what some of it needs to be. It doesn't all need to be blood feuds. It all doesn't need to be um, Kurt Angle and Shane McMahon, King of the Ring. Um, you know, just beatings. You can you can also have entertainment, and this was by far the most entertaining thing that happened on the night. Uh, what did you think of uh, the Boogie Woogie Man and Paul Jones? I actually found it to be, like you said, one of the most entertaining moments of the entire night. Yeah, and uh, Jimmy Valiant, he doesn't he doesn't fuck around wasting time uh, trying to cut this man's hair. It's like he had the I his clippers appeared out of nowhere i don't know how he got the clippers so fast but he went right to work on cutting uh shaving uh paul jones's head uh valiant does a does a pretty good job cutting his hair on he he wanted to be pretty thorough with this cut he was not just gonna i think it almost would be funnier if he just did one you know streak down the middle or whatever but i guess that would be too much like road warrior uh hawk um so he's pretty thorough as he cuts his hair um, Raging Bull finally gets out of the cage and puts the boot to Valiant. Then Rick Rude joins in. They hit a Doomsday Device-style reverse elbow to Valiant. But then Paul Jones grabs a chair, and they basically... Um, Rude and uh, I believe it was Bull hit like a... Man, they hit like a double brain buster to Jimmy Valiant on a chair. It was nasty looking. Um <laughs> Cottle calls it a pile driver. It was not. It was either a vertical suplex, a DDT, or a brain buster. Somewhere in between there. Um, so fucking Valiant is 
uh, just out. And so the heels get all their heat back, even though Jones loses his match and his hair. Uh, Baron Von Rasky and Wahoo out again to make the save. And uh, they tend to the bloodied Boogie Woogie Man, and who screams for Big Mama to help him when he finally wakes up. Uh, they show the replay, and we, we cut back to the Omni. The post-match here was, was pretty pretty brutal, and uh, I thought Jimmy Valiant really sold it well. Like, uh, he didn't just pop up from his fucking nasty brain buster on a chair. He, he sold it. He got this crowd. He had this crowd <laughs> so happy and then immediately so concerned for him. He it was a an emotional roller coaster that Boogie Woogie Man put us on uh, in his hair versus hair match. So, um, congrats to uh, Boogie Woogie Man here. Um, we go back to the Omni, and now it's time for Tony to tease the Bunkhouse Stampede for uh, the rest of December. They throw to Bob Taylor, who's in the Starcade Command Center, who tosses to Nelson Royal who we saw wrestle earlier in the show, who gives us a rundown, Fireside, a nice Fireside chat about how uh, the Bunkhouse Stampede came to be. But if you didn't have the volume turned up, you would think this might be a coffee commercial because he has a cup of coffee in his hand and he's sitting by a fire and he's a cowboy. And uh, so it kind of looks like a Folgers commercial um, until they show the highlights of the Bunkhouse Stampede. And then you see where Dusty picked up the win last year and this was a was a big deal i'm surprised they never tried running a closed circuit of it uh you know and uh just kept it for house shows but uh very very cool uh, i might include the whole audio of this so howdy partner come on and have a cup of coffee i'm glad you could make it because i've been asked to explain a few things about a bunkhouse stampede match and i consider myself an authority on it but I was in the first one that was ever held in Texas, and I came out of it with a broken arm. And where they derived from was in the western part of the country where you had 10, 15, 20 men living in a, a bunkhouse, something like this behind us here. And when you put men that close together, you've got to have problems. You had a lot of bad blood between some people. When there was no other way to, to settle it, you did one thing, you went outside, and you went the way you were. You might have your boots on, you might have your jeans, have your shirt, your spurs, whatever. And that's how you went out. And your winner of something like that was the man that was left standing. And now they've come along, like I said, a few years ago, and they had this bunkhouse stampede. Dory Funk Sr. had it in Texas. And it's one of the wildest things you'll ever see in your life. The second worst thing that you can be in and most dangerous match is a battle royal where you've got 20 men in the ring and the only way that you can be eliminated is to be thrown over the top rope. Well, you take these two and you combine them, put them together, and you've got something that's really a deadly match. Because money, greed, and bad blood make things a lot tougher than what they really are because you've got men that come in this ring and like I said they can bring anything they want to bring there are virtually no rules there's nothing to stop a man from doing anything he can bring a cowbell he can bring a good branding iron whatever he wants 
because when you get into this type of match, you have no friends. Because there's no, there's no such thing as a friend when you're in that. You have to watch your back, your front, everything about you. You're in danger of being hurt. You get broken legs because of people flying around in the rain. Like I said, when there's money involved, there's a lot of things can happen. And the only way that you can be a winner in this, you've got to be the last man standing in the middle of the ring. And when I say the last man standing, Mr. That's, that is a problem within itself. And believe me, when you can only be eliminated from this match is to throw you over the top rope. And then when you're the last man standing in the middle of the ring, then brother, you can call yourself the bull of the woods and then you are the man. Intermission time, and then Tony teases the Crockett Cup in Baltimore. Bob Taylor, when we go to him again, he runs down the cup recap from last year where the Road Warriors won and got their million-dollar check from Jim Crockett Sr.'s widow, allegedly winning a million dollars, which is definitely kayfabe, um, because no wrestler ever got a million-dollar check um, presented to them, other than maybe Hogan. Um, So... (laughs) This was uh, cool to see highlights of. Again, this is something that probably should have been put on TV, but wasn't. Um, but, you know, they're selling tickets. This is still, you know, house shows. Closed circuit is not as the pay-per-view isn't accessible. So it, it doesn't you can't justify running, uh, you know, a lot of closed circuit events because you're not going to. You're not always going to sell them out. You're, you're not going right. to make your money back. They're too costly. Um, so I understand. Um, up next, your favorite hands of stone, rugged Ronnie Garvin, uh, taking on big Bubba in a Louisville street fight, which happens to be taking place in Atlanta. How does that make sense? I don't know. Just that's what happens. Um, Bubba has Jim Cornette with him who, uh, Jim Cornette. I just can't believe how young he was here because he still looks old. That's why it's a Louisville street fight. Cause the oh, Louisville Cornette. Cornette. Cornette has a beautiful golden tennis racket for tonight's event. Uh, the rules are either pinfall or 10 count to a downed opponent. So it's either a last man standing match or a pinfall, whichever one. Do you want a three count or a 10 count? Which one's easier to get? Um, so think, uh, just let reality go for a minute and, and try to forget that getting to 10 is harder than technically getting to two, getting to three with a pinfall. Uh, just let that go. Let that slip away. Suspend your disbelief for a moment for this match. Uh, Ray trailer is man. He is massive here. It's amazing how much weight this guy lost over his career. And, uh, boy, big Bubba was big. Uh, he was massive. Um, and for whatever reason, they thought big Bubba should wrestle with, his uh, I call it his IRS gear because he had suspenders and a dress shirt. Um, what was what was Big Bubba supposed to be exactly? Like a mob guy? What was no? He was he was, uh, he was Cornette's bodyguard. Oh, I see. Okay. Even then, I guess get some better gear, my friend. Uh, Garvin, he came out in Street Fighter jeans with a weight belt and a tank top. He came out ready to deal some hands of stone. 
Uh, Garvin right hands Bubba out of the ring. Bubba dumps Garvin out of the ring uh, in return, and he smacks him into the announcer's table. Uh, now, see, what kind of fucked this match up is that the Skywalker scaffold limits the kind of walk and brawl they can have around the ring. So they'll get out there for a second, but then realize, oh, this shit's in the way, and then they have to get back in the ring. Uh, Garvin throws some water in Bossman's face, delivers some rights before Bossman bails. He chokes Bubba with his suspenders. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. Garvin chokes Bubba with his suspenders. That's why you don't wrestle in suspenders, uh, folks. You you will get choked with them, and it's, it's totally your fault. And then he rips at his dress shirt, which I thought was kind of a dick move, because Bubba is wrestling in a shirt because he's got man tits. He doesn't want to not wrestle in a shirt. Uh, and so to tear it off, I always think that's a dick move. Like, uh, when people would do that to, like, Road Dog and anybody that wrestles in t-shirts, like, don't fucking tear their t-shirt off, man. Like, come on. Um, unless it's like a massive feud or whatever. This is not, I mean, this is a Louisville street fight, but this isn't like, I don't know. I just think, you know, there's a reason a guy's wrestling on a shirt. Uh, coming from a guy that would wrestle in a shirt. If I was ever a pro wrestler, you gar- I guarantee you I will be wrestling in a shirt. Bubba decks Garvin with a roll of coins. Garvin makes it to his feet in an eight count. Garvin gets busted open from the coins. He gets decked again, makes it back up at eight. Body slam from Bubba. Splash. Uh, he tries a pin for a near fall. The pin doesn't work, so Garvin gets up at eight again. Garvin takes rope out of his boots and starts hog-tying Boss Man, and I thought, oh my goodness, this was a premonition. He's going to string him up like uh, Undertaker did in the Hell in a Cell match here, uh, but that's not what happened. Uh, instead, he kind of just ties Boss Man, tries to choke him with it, but then bites at his face. Boss Man gets busted open now. Boss Man slaps on a bear hug. Garvin headbutts out of it, but ends up right back in it. Then he uh, lays in some big right hands, and Bubba falls out of the ring. Bubba crawls back in, keeps eating right hands, falls out of the ring again. Bubba tries something off the top rope. Big mistake for Big Boss Man. Uh, Garvin slams him off. Tommy Young takes a ref bump from a kick out from Bubba. Then Garvin, I couldn't believe he did this, pile drives Big Bubba, which looked scary as shit. This man should not be doing this, but he did it. But then Jim Cornette decks Garvin in the back of the head with the tennis racket. A double 10 count from Tommy Young. Both men get counted out. You think that this is the end of the match. But then Tommy Young says, hey, first man on his feet wins the match. Tommy Young changing the rules as we go along. Young and Cornette then get into it because Cornette is obviously like, fuck you, man. You're changing the rules. Uh, Tommy Young has none of this, so he shoves Cornette out of the ring. Bubba grabs it young, though, while Cornette takes out Garvin's leg with the racket, uh, and Bubba makes it to his feet for the win in the Louisville-Atlanta street fight. Uh, I thought this was really entertaining. Uh, This was really good. They were limited by the Skywalker scaffold, but it was still fun. Jim Cornette uh, was, was awesome in this match. Big Bubba, it looked like they were building the next big heel for the company. That wouldn't happen. Uh, But uh, a lot of good stuff here. I thought Ron Garvin looked pretty good. Um, I mean, he was an NWA champion. Uh, You can't take it away from him. Um, And this is the kind of fight that he needs to be in because I really was never a fan of his wrestling, especially his WWF stuff he did with Greg Valentine and stuff. But um, 
What did you think of the Louisville street fight? Oh, I enjoyed it. 100% enjoyed it. One of the highest moments of the night, in my opinion. Uh, it's, it's up there in, in the top three or four matches of the night. Yeah, well, you know they achieved what they wanted to because the crowd chanted bullshit. So, uh, mission accomplished. And uh, that that's really what you, what you want uh, when you're building your next big heel challenger, which unfortunately would, would leave you and go get some money from Vince. Um, Dusty Rhodes, the TV champ, is taking on Tully Blanchard in a first blood match. Uh, Tully's out first with J.J. Dillon. Dusty gets his big Goldberg entrance here. He gets to get followed through the back. Uh, Tully has a wonderful mullet for 1986. And Dusty's got great hair, too. He's got Tully written in ink over his ears. I love the pre-match shit here because J.J. Dillon has a plan. Uh, Oh, it's a first blood match? Okay, well, my man's going to wear a headgear. I just love this. I was like, why didn't he come out in, like, a full body suit? You know, why didn't he put pillows all over himself or whatever? The ref, though, you asshole referee, you you took away the headgear. So, J.J., he had a plan B, though. He says, okay, well, fine. And he takes out a jar of Vaseline and just wipes it all over Tully's face. And somehow the ref just happened to have a towel on him and wipes it off. So, J.J.'s plans are foiled here. Um, J.J., though, gets a bionic elbow from Dusty and gets busted open. So, if J.J. was in this match, the match would be over immediately. Uh, so even J.J. Dillon is doing color tonight. Um, yeah, he went and tried to poke at Dusty and just got just got bloodied for his troubles. So that's it for J.J. No more worrying about him. Uh, Dusty taunts at Tully. Both men are hesitant to throw punches. I like the psychology here because they don't want to throw punches because they might get busted open early. They don't want to lose the match. So Tully tries a single leg on Dusty, but he trips him instead. Misses a fist to Dusty and then bails when Dusty cocks back for a right hand. Dusty headbutts Tully, which makes Dusty pause as well, as both men are scared of throwing fists. Finally, Dusty gets Tully in the corner, lands a few strikes and an elbow, but it didn't bust him open. Dusty decides to work on Tully's leg with some elbow drops, and Tully bails again. Tully gets in the ring, snapmares Dusty, rips at his face, but Dusty quickly escapes, so still no blood. The ref takes a bump. Tully tries to use J.J.'s shoe on Dusty. Dusty vertical suplexes Tully, though, right onto the ref. And now Dusty has the shoe. Will he turn heel? But he tosses it aside because he's Dusty Rhodes, man of the people. He does some ground and pound to the head of Tully. Dusty makes him bleed, but the referee is down. He can't see it. And Dylan wipes down Tully's face and puts Vaseline on him like a good cut man does. A roll of coins is then handed to Tully. Tully decks Dusty in it. Blood everywhere. The ref wakes up, sees Dusty, and the match is over. We have a new TV champion, ladies and gentlemen. The uh, one title change of the night happens right here. What did you think of this first blood match? Oh, very entertaining. Uh, Yeah, I liked it compared to modern-day First Blood matches, which are just hardcore matches and plunder matches. This was... They um, understood the psychology that these guys throw fists, they throw real punches, so they might bust each other open at any time, so they're hesitant to engage. Uh, Tully knows he's going to have to cheat. Dusty considers cheating, but decides against it, which uh, that interview that he 
he didn't give us earlier kind of alluded to, so I like that. And then uh, after the match, Dusty gets pissed, but he's not that pissed because he just says, no, 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 baby, no, no, no. See, he got the coins over there. Uh, but then he does shove the ref. So, and I believe he even mouths the word fuck. Uh, so Dusty teases a heel turn here. Uh, we'll have to see if that comes to light. Uh, but nobody put the boots to because Tully and J.J. Dillon were gone. They Like thieves in the night. These guys, as soon as as soon as soon the ref made his call, these guys were out of there. So Dusty just had to stand there and holding his fucking coins. Fucking Earl Hebner cost one of, one of Earl's earliest bad decisions here as he cost uh, Dusty the TV belt. Um, another guy that Vince would, uh, hire Earl Hebner, um, until he started selling bootleg shirts out of his trunk, uh, road warriors versus midnight express next. This is the big match of the night. This is the, the skywalkers, my friend, the scaffold match. Um, road warrior Hawk was actually wrestling this match with a broken leg. They had wrestled in Japan and he broke a leg. So what better match to get into than a one that you got to be up way high uh, for? And uh, this scaffold, um, not exactly built. Uh, I would say it wasn't very structurally sound. It looked dangerous as hell, uh, which I guess is the point. Uh, but also at the top, at the top, it's like the size of like a ladder. It's like you can't. I think if they had made it like double wide if that makes sense if they had put two slabs of metal up there i think they could have done more and i think the match would have been a fucking instant classic i mean it's still memorable for uh cornet's bump at the end but like if they had had more room to work up there it would have been fucking awesome like i mean you're talking um 12 years before foley going off hell in a cell like I mean, these these drops were not near that. This is I'm not comparing that. Like, and I'm not saying that making the the scaffold would have changed that, but they could have done more work up there had they had just a little bit more room. Um, this was I I mean I would have been legit scared to get up there, but luckily you know Hawk was probably um, under the influence of several. Um, bags of cocaine and uh had no fear and uh probably didn't even feel that his leg was broken uh animal's a big tough dude uh so of course those guys when they come out they have no problem running right up to the top of the scaffold um now the midnight express on the other hand it's all it's in their character because they're the heels they're the you know scaredy cat heels so they don't want to climb up there but also i think it's also part shoot because I would not want to climb up there but just because it looks like it's going to collapse at any second. It looks like it was built by me and I would not trust me to build any sort of anything. Um, uh, I actually, I, I text Bobby and uh, asked him to talk to him for a second. He was like, yeah. So I called him and I asked him for this show, what was his opinion about this match? And he said, that it was the one of the most fun things he has ever done in professional wrestling throughout his entire career. So that ought to tell you something. He, whether it was frightening or not, he's he he still is extremely, extremely 
riding the high, I guess, off this match. He just, he loves the hell out of it. So, uh... Him using the thing as a monkey bars, basically, was the, the other big highlight of the match. Like, it was Cornette's fall, and it was uh, Bobby Eaton being able to jungle Jim his way across the scaffold, which, <laughs> uh... Which they had suggested earlier, like, maybe one of these guys is gonna do that, and, like, he actually did it, and so that was cool. Um, because the other guys just sort of hung on you know they just hung there so had he not been in the match i'm not sure that uh hawk and animal were certainly not going to be doing that they well they're not going to be losing so um but you needed somebody with um the ability to uh the athletic ability to uh do the do the monkey bars thing and then you know not have a fear of heights and everything and i'm not sure dennis condry uh was capable of that but um anyway uh, we'll get into the match. Uh, Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton accompanied by Cornette with Big Bubba, who did nothing in this match. He did something after the match, that's for sure. Oh, that's right, that's right. Um, Big Bubba, Big Bubba was very well needed after the match. Yeah, the uh, the Midnight Express hesitant to climb up the scaffold, even though Road Warriors just started up there. Condry rethinks it. Uh, the Midnight Express finally make it to the top of the scaffold after a lot of stalling. They. They don't even want to stand on it. They're scared to uh, stand on it. The bell rings and we're off. I love, I love how as Dennis Condry was climbing up there, one of the metal beams right there that's holding, you know, the the sides and the backing on it just comes off and smacks him in the head. Did you realize that? No, I didn't notice that. No, it's like I said, this thing looked like, yeah, it looked like a kindergartner designed it. And, um, yeah, so. They uh, are very hesitant. Now, the rules of this match, both men have to be flung off the scaffold to win. Now, that's a bit deceiving because you don't have to be flung from the top of it, as we find out. You just have to fall off of it. Uh, It can be from the bottom. You can hang off the bottom of it and fall. Um, So, yeah, not a a new Jack situation here uh, where you're going to have to just plummet to your demise. You can... You can fall 10 feet instead of 16 or 25 feet um, here. Uh, so uh, Condry uh, and Eaton, they have a plan. They have freedom powder, so that's what they do. Uh, they throw it in the eyes of Hawk and Animal, and uh, Cornette gets near the commentator's mics and says, you can't hit what you can't see, Tony. <laughs> so Cornette, very proud of his plan here. This allows the uh, Midnight Express to put the boots to the Legion of Doom. Eaton is hanging off the side with one hand on Hawk and a leg on the scaffold, but he saves himself from uh, falling to the ring. The Road Warriors just drive the Midnight Express face first into the scaffold, and Bobby gets busted open as well as Condry. Condry tries to climb down, which I would that have counted as a loss if they just climbed down? See, that was never explained to me. Yes, I would think so. Yeah, so... A forfeit. It's weird that Hawk would then stop him. Like, oh, you're going to lose the match? No, 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 I don't think so, my friend. You are not going to lose this match. Um, but anyway, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, Hawk stops him from escaping by grabbing at his head. Hawk and Condry are now fighting on the scaffold support beams. And now Animal and Eaton do the same. Then this is where Eaton monkey bars over towards Hawk... But this proves to be the demise of the Midnight Express as he gets kicked into Condry, and that drops Condry to the canvas. So 
Um, in a way, the Midnight Express eliminated half of themselves right here, and then Animal kicks Eaton off. So the Road Warriors are the Skywalkers. Uh, they are the Walkers of the Sky, or the um, Scaffold. Uh, they are the winners. Cornette tries to escape by climbing up the scaffold, which is silly. The, uh, so Ellering and, and Cornette get into it, and uh, somehow Cornette decides he, he this is the best way to escape, is to run up the highest thing that you can fall off of. Um, but hey, it's wrestling. Uh, so he, he does that, and then he runs into Animal and Paul Ellering, unfortunately. And this causes Cornette to hang off the bottom to try to escape, and then he drops. And he drops, and he falls, and he does not land very well on his leg. Uh, uh, in fact, he fucks up his leg pretty good, uh, because I don't know what he thought. I don't know. I get, he, You definitely don't want to take a back bump there. You, I think you want to fall on your ass. Uh, but he decided he wanted to try and you fall on his legs. Your, you would have. You would have broken your tailbone and shoved it up into your spine. Okay. Well, I don't know. He didn't have a good option here. <laughs> he didn't. There's not a good way of landing this, except for just trying to flat. Well, back not for a non-professional. The other guys seem to do it just fine. But like, you know, flat backed it like I would have, but he didn't. He did not swing or anything. He just fell. So. No, he fucked it up. He, uh, yeah, he. <laughs> He just he he just wanted to land on his feet and then I just I guess land on your feet and do a pancake bump like just you know immediately but that was a bad idea and so yeah he fucked his leg up and so uh, I think this is what you're referring to Big Bubba had to carry him uh, out oh yeah this this was Big Bubba's part because as you're <laughs> seeing him scoot to the end you hear every microphone anywhere near that side of the ring picking up oh it's my right leg my right knee my right knee <laughs> just <laughs> and literally you see big bubba rogers ray trailer picking up <laughs> this man and carrying him all the way to the back yeah like like king kong taking fey ray to the top of the tower here very romantic here uh <laughs> Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, I mean, this match, uh, you can pretty much just jump to the last, you know, five minutes of it or whatever. So you can skip the intros. Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, this, hey, thumbs up from me. It was entertaining. I, I don't I don't think it would have been as good if Cornette didn't do his part in it. So he was a major, he was a major player in this thing. Um because honestly, without that, at, at the end, I think I would have been a little disappointed. And uh, if I was there live, I think I would have been a little disappointed. Just, well, until the cornet thing. I, the cornet thing would have would have saved it for me. But you, you expect more. Um, I give WCW, JCP, whatever, uh, NWA, a lot of credit for doing this kind of shit. You know, triple cages, all this wild shit, electrified you know, they had the balls to do it. Uh, it could have been better, <laughs> but the I think it's still, you know, like it's still memorable. Uh, maybe not for, it's not fully going off the cell, but it's pretty funny. It's pretty fun and funny. So uh, thumbs up from me. What did you think of uh, the night of the Skywalkers match here? Match of the night. 
Well, I think it gave you the most satisfied. Satisfied the crowd uh, the most, I think. Um, Jim Cornette got his comeuppance, and the Road Warriors got to look unstoppable. So everyone went home happy. Well, they spent all day building that scaffold, so of course we need to replay the finish so we get to watch it all over again. And then we promote the Great American Bash for 1987. Bob Taylor tells us how great it is. Then the credits roll. But wait, there's more. Don't worry. We're just rolling the credits midway through. Uh, Rock and Roll Express will defend their tag titles against Ole and Arn Anderson in a cage match from Greensboro. One fall, no cage escape. Uh, this is Minnesota Wrecking Crew and Rock and Roll Express. All four men brawl to start the match. Uh, basically, this is... I can pretty much summarize the match here. Uh, Ole Anderson and Arn Anderson beat the living shit out of the Rock and Roll Express the entire match. They do not let up at all. They keep these guys in their corner. They focus on body parts, mainly their legs. Um, Gibson would be first in the match. He would get his ass kicked for a while, get bloodied. Uh, need a hot tag to Morton. He'd finally get it. Morton would get in there, but then just get his ass kicked. Um, uh, take, you know, uh, an Arn Anderson spine buster. Uh, take the uh, the finisher, the double team finisher. Uh, get bloody, everything else. Um, and then out of nowhere, uh, the fucking match ends by Gibson drop kicking Morton, who was being held by Ole. Morton falls on top, one, two, three, and Rock and Roll Express somehow win this match despite being completely outclassed, beaten thoroughly, destroyed. I mean, just, this was just a robbery for me. This is one time where I, uh, you know, wanted the heels to win just because based on their performance. I mean, but they definitely generated sympathy for the Rock and Roll Express. The Minnesota Wrecking Crew totally took the crowd out of the match. I mean, they were chaining rock and roll for a while, but, I mean, this match went on so long with uh, Morton and Gibson not getting anything. This was a 20-minute match. This went 20 seconds longer than the main event tonight, the uh, world title match. This went on so long with them getting beat that the crowd was eventually just, they gave up. They thought it was that the Rock and Roll Express were done. And um, out of nowhere... They just fucking get these belts like this was uh, weird booking to me. Um, um, definitely, you know, a way to keep the feud going because the Rock and Roll Express, I thought, looked like ass in this match. Um, but uh, what what are your thoughts on uh, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew and Rock and Roll Express? Classic Rock and Roll Express match. <laughs> I just kind of I wanted to see a little bit more offense from the Rock and Roll Express, but it's fine. It keeps the feud going. It keeps the Horsemen from having all the belts, which eventually I think they would have all the belts, but uh, this keeps it away from them for a while. Um, Now it's time for our NWA World Title match. Ric Flair will face Nikita Koloff. This one is from the Omni. As I mentioned before, for good reason, because they didn't want Ric Flair getting cheered in Greensboro. But before that, well, Ric Flair comes out, he does his Ric Flair entrance, and then we get a Magnum TA video play here as um, they wanted to just send their good wishes, uh, well wishes to Magnum TA, who uh, had his uh, Porsche accident in October 
And so you get a lot of B-roll of Magnum on the beach with his mom. And um, no narration here, but uh, it was nice of them to, um, you know, put something in there for uh, Magnum T.A. Certainly could have done more for him, but I mean, they would bring him back as as an announcer and keep him in the company and stuff. So they did for a while. They did take care of him. And um, I mean, you know, he showed up at uh, was it he was either all in or all out uh, with uh, Cody in Cody's corner. So even to this day, he's still somewhat around. So um, now he had problems getting into Disney World uh last year or the year before um but yeah it was it was nice of them to uh to to do this this video tribute unfortunately magnum ta is not here nikita koloff is and i'm not saying that because uh anything about nikita koloff i like nikita koloff i think he's awesome uh in the early 90s um in that war games match we watched uh he is he was he was awesome i he was really peaking and then he had the neck injury and his career was over. Um, but man, um, what's crazy to me, uh, when we go up and down this roster and you, you look at uh, the past couple of Starcade rosters and you see all the people that Vince plucked, I don't know how Vince didn't look at Nikita Koloff and say, I want this guy. Um, because uh, according to Nikita, they've only met twice. He met him once in a gym. And once at Road Warrior Hawk's funeral. So he's only seen Vince McMahon twice in his whole life. But I don't know how Vince doesn't love this guy. This is, I mean, he has the look of a WWF superstar. Vince loves these jacked up, chiseled bodies back in that time. I mean, think about Hogan. Think about everyone else. So that's the thing I couldn't understand is he never went there. He never went (laughs) there. He no, it's, is one. Wild. The, he is one of the few, and I mean very few, with the look that Vance loves that never went and worked for Vince. Right. Like I mean, a guy like Warlord got a shot. You know, Warlord was signed. You know, by WWF, but not Nikita Koloff. It's bizarre. I mean. Um, and and you don't have to bring him in as Nikita Koloff. You can totally repackage him. Like he, I mean, maybe it was just a budget issue because he had stolen so much other. I mean, I say steal. I mean, he just signed all this other. Maybe it was a budget issue. Um, but strange that you take a guy like Barbarian and and leave Nikita Koloff. <laughs> you leave a guy. You leave a guy that main events Starcade behind and take Barbarian. So just sort of strange to me exactly yes uh koloff is the u.s champ but his belt is not on the line so no title for title match here it's just rick flair's belt is on the line the crowd in georgia like i said still sort of mixed on nikita they're not you know you know when you when you tell me you're from the soviet union in 1986 and you're so bad for so long it's going to take me a while to, to warm up to you. So the crowd wasn't exactly on fire for Nikita Koloff here. They were actually, they almost cheered Flair a little bit more. I mean, it was more 50-50 than Greensboro would have been, but it was certainly not some overwhelming response to Nikita. Um, they had tried to set up Nikita as a babyface because he was feuding with Magnum TA, and then he did, uh, they had like a magazine article with like, 
uh, Nikita saying how much he respected Mag- Magnum TA, and it was trying to like mooch, like transfer all that energy from Magnum TA to Nikita, and you just can't do that overnight. You just can't. You you can't do that in a month, and that's basically what they had to do, um, and make it work. So, uh, Flair gets shoved regroups outside because flair understands that this man is massive and flair's no slouch here flair's in great shape but he is not um as jacked as nikita koloff and would never be um so flair he he wrestles this match smartly i really like his strategy uh in this match work smart not hard um he regroups outside Big chops to Koloff in the corner that Koloff no-sells. So Flair says, you know what? Fuck this. And takes another walk. Regroups again. Hip toss and a pair of one-handed slams to Flair from Koloff. Flair backs into a corner and yells, Back it up, damn it! To Koloff. Uh, Then he gets locked in a bear hug for ages. Uh, this was a very long bear hug. I mean, this Nikita took him down to the floor with a bear hug. Uh, Flair escapes the vertical suplex, uh, poses, then takes another walk, regroups again, uh, because Nikita pops right back up from the vertical suplex. Flair returns, gets hit with the Russian hammer, but Nikita misses another clothesline and goes flying over the top rope, but since his own momentum carried him, it's not a DQ. Flair then flings Nikita's legs into the post, so he's softening him up for the figure four. Big chops. Figure four gets locked in. And Flair uses the help of the ropes, of course. Nikita, though, manages to reverse the pressure, and Flair rolls into the rope, so he gets a rope break. Flair rakes Koloff's eyes against the ropes, delivers some more chops. Koloff ends up outside again. Flair throws him into the scaffold, so now Koloff is busted open. Flair delivers his signature knee drop that gets a two-count. Hits a belly-to-back for another two-count. Then Nikita fights back with another one-arm slam and a hip toss. Then Flair does his Flair flip to the outside of the ring. Flair gets his face rammed into the scaffold, so now he's bleeding. A Flair flop in the ring as Nikita closes in on the victory. A leaping shoulder tackle. And fucking Tommy Young was in the way. Takes a bump out to the floor and sells his legs. So it looks like he's out. So we need a new ref. So we get Scrappy McGowan gets sent to the ring as Koloff goes to check on Tommy Young. And while uh, Koloff is checking on Tommy Young, Flair knees him in the back and gets a two count that Scrappy McGowan counts. Then he gets a clothesline from Koloff by accident, Scrappy does. And then Tommy Young gets bumped again, but he gets up. He That was an accidental ref bump that time. Uh, then Flair and Koloff are in the corner fighting, and this time Flair just shoves Tommy Young blatantly Uh, Just shoves him down again. And Tommy Young said, you know what? Fuck this. I've been on my back three times. I've got a hurt leg. Fuck this shit. Calls for the bell. Ding, ding, ding. Both men have been DQ'd. Oh, my goodness. What a non... Not a way to finish a Starcade. Koloff starts going crazy. And the heels that are in the Omni all team team up on Nikita... And then it's Bedlam here at the end because the entire locker room, then the faces come out to save Nikita. The entire locker room has to wrestle Nikita and Flair away from one another. Tommy Young goes and tells uh, the announcers that both men got DQ'd, so Flair keeps the gold. Both men continue to brawl, even with the roster trying to separate them. And then Tony disappoints the entire crowd at the Omni who had 
seen a pretty good show up until this point when he gets on the uh, the, the PA and tells them both men have been disqualified. Ric Flair is still your champion. Thank you. Good night. And that's it. We uh, we get some uh, highlights and we're out with Starcade. But what did you think of the main event between Nikita Koloff and Ric Flair? Well, like I said earlier, it uh, it had to end that way. We couldn't have a clear-cut victor. We couldn't have a clear-cut winner because if we did, then it's going to screw up what we're doing and trying to accomplish in the run for Great American Bash. The whole thing was Magnum TA was supposed to win tonight. We can't do a title change because we don't have Magnum to do it to. So we had to rely on Flair to just go ahead and retain. And we couldn't kill off Nikita because that's going to very quickly have to turn to be our number one baby face. So we've got to go further in immediately putting him with Dusty. So him and Dusty, Dusty's going to, everybody loves Dusty. They're going to start loving him. Team him and Dusty up. That way he can start very quickly becoming our number one baby face. And we can then look at him getting us through to quite possibly the next, the next Starcade. They, they realized that they had to now rely on Nikita to be the number one baby face. And for that to happen, they couldn't give him the title tonight. They couldn't let him lose. It had to end this way. There was no other way for the match to go down. Yeah, yeah. They, they didn't have a lot of good options for uh, babyface challengers. They really didn't have a lot of good options for, well, I mean, Big Bubba uh, for for a good heel. They didn't have a lot of top-tier talent. So, yeah, you have to protect, you know, projects in Nikita Koloff. Um, unfortunately, I mean, for Nikita, he would never get back to uh, the main event scene. Um at least in the next few years, uh, Starcade '87. Uh, they went with a different guy who was on this show. Uh, we'll save that for another time. But he just let's just say he has uh, has a rugged streak to him. Uh, they decided to go with that for uh, Starcade '87. They also had a young guy named Steve Borden who uh, would become the face of the franchise, liter- the literal baby face of the franchise. Um, who was about to sign with them. Uh, Nikita would kind of, uh, he would end up in a NWA TV, uh, as the NWA TV title holder in a unification match when um, JCP bought the UWF and would take on Terry Taylor at the next Starcade. Um, but like for Great American Bash, that's where Flair ended up wrestling like Road Warrior Hawk. That's... That's where they were. That's the kind of options they had as far as babyface challengers to flare. My, que- my question was, why Hawk? Why would you not pick Animal? Well, I mean, especially maybe because they just did Koloff, and since you already had a muscle-bound guy, maybe you want... I think I think Hawk was a slightly better worker than Animal. Um, 
So maybe you want that, or maybe Animal was injured. I'm I'm not sure. I mean, we we I think we covered that one. I I remember watching that match. I don't know if we did it for this show or if I just watched that match, but maybe because Animal didn't want a job and Hawk didn't mind. And I don't think he and I think it ended up being like a count out loss or a time limit draw. You know, it's neither of those guys were going to lose. So, yeah, I probably would have ran with Animal just for the look, you know. Um, I think I think Hawk was a bad choice. Flat out. So on our rating scale, Patrick, of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, where do you rank Starcade 86? Giant Gonzalez. Yeah, I'm going to go with a uh, big Bubba Rogers because uh, it was uh, it was really good. It was really big. Uh, it had a lot of uh, stuff in there. It wasn't – I'm not going to go uh, Giant Gonzalez with you on, on this one because um, I had a few nitpicky things, but it was a very, very good Starcade. And a uh, very good pick for uh, for you uh, for this episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. As I mentioned at the start of the show, uh, we're going to do a, an, an ECW show because of New Jack. And we're going to do November to Remember 2000, uh, which features Rhino versus New Jack. That'll be where we go next time, hopefully within the next month. And uh, maybe I'll do a, an extra bonus on... Uh, dark side of the ring with uh new jack uh jerome uh young i believe yeah jerome young not related to patrick young um <laughs> but uh yeah uh that's where we'll go next week in the retro wrestling podcast in the meantime you can check us out on twitter at retro w podcast uh, he's at ref patrick young on twitter and our uh facebook page is just retro wrestling podcast you can follow us there and uh, there you go. That'll do it for this week. I'm intern Alex. I'm the one and only the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, by closing lines of clothesline. And bingo, bingo. What exactly caused the injury from the scaffold bump? Was it the impact from the fall? Did you land at an angle that caused your knee to hyperextend? Or was it something different altogether? And secondly, when you had the surgery to fix your knee, who picked up the bill? You or Jimmy Crockett? <laughs> I'm just, I'm still continuing to laugh at the idea of Jimmy Crockett paying for any of my surgery. Um, no, actually, I'll answer that in reverse. Uh, the surgery cost me $1,500 because I had insurance, but that was my deductible. So that's 1500 bucks. And then Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry each made about $7,000 over the next two weeks that when they made the shots that I couldn't make because I was recovering from the surgery. And I would have made that too, had I made those shots, but I didn't cause I didn't. So there's $8,500. So I, I made 10 grand for Stark 86 and it, it, I came out 1500 bucks ahead. Um, I did not have the, the knee fixed. I had it scoped because back then an ACL reattachment was a involved procedure uh, a, a week in the hospital, I think it said a month, maybe to cast six months of crutches and physical therapy and all that bullshit. And I would have had to take much more time off of work. And I obviously wasn't going to do that. So I just had them scope it and clean out all the torn cartilage and clean out to the ends. When your ACL or your ligament tears, it's like broomstick ends. And when they wheedle against each other, there's nerve endings in that and that causes the pain. So they just chop all the, the torn ends off clean so they don't 
conflict with each other. And that's what I had done. And that, and I still have never, that's 30 years ago. I never had the right knee fixed and it feels better than the knee that I had fixed the ACL in 2006 when they reattached it. And that was, that's now my bad knee. But anyway, the first part of the question, what was it? Was, it wasn't the fall. It was the floor being there to break my fall that caused the damage. <laughs> actually, I had, I'd actually, and didn't even realize it. I had twisted and probably torn some cartilage in my knee earlier in the night. If you watch the Bubba Rogers and Ronnie Garvin match, and you see me hit Ronnie Garvin in the head with my racket while he's laying on the ropes in front of me, and then suddenly I slip and go down. I stepped in some uh, liquid of some kind that was on the floor, and when I hit him and my knee kind of went out, and I was, oh, shit, and went down and got up and was kind of limping a little bit, that probably tore some cartilage, and I went back, and Sam Houston gave me a knee sleeve, and I put that on and then went out and dropped 25 feet off the scaffold. That finished it off. So, yeah, <laughs> it was a torn ACL and obliterated about half the cartilage, which is called meniscus in the knee. And and uh, when the doctor drained it the next day, when we, my wife at the time was there with me at Starcade, and, and so was Bolin and his wife, by the way. Uh, she drove me back to Charlotte in the back seat with my knee on a pillow, because every time she had a bump, it fucking I couldn't even hop on the other leg. It was so swollen and so tight. And uh, we met the the orthopedic guy that did Barry Darso, Crusher Khrushchev's knee, and did a lot of the guys' work in Charlotte. And he took me in the back room at the, the urgent care center I met him at, and he started draining the knee. And, you know, they put the syringe in the side oh. of it. Yeah. And start draining the blood out, right? Well, at first it starts feeling good because they're taking pressure off of it. And he, and he would leave the needle in and he would take off the syringe and put another syringe on and f- continue. Dr- well, he filled up like four syringes and he said, eh, this ain't. He's, so he takes the syringe completely off, leaves the needle in like he's tapped a maple tree, put a bedpan under my leg and just milked it all out into the bedpan. It was, he said oh. there was some. There was so much blood, and he said, and see the white stuff? I said, yeah. He said, that's fatty deposits. That means you've torn a lot of shit. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> Thank you very much, doctor. So, But anyway, that was, uh, that was the, the, knee, uh, the knee scoop. The knee scoop on the knee scope. 